0: Good morning. Welcome to Discovery's Digital Gathering. We are glad you're here. We are excited for what God has in store this morning. We want to invite you to download our app, which will help you stay current with our community and get further connected by filling out our new visitor card. Let's prepare our hearts for worship and for the adventure of discovering the good news of Jesus together. Hi everyone. So my name is I'm one of the elders here at Discovery, also part of the teaching team, and I'm excited to be kind of sharing with you all from Acts 24 to 26 today. Um, so first off, talk about the show Suits. Right, I'm sure some of you guys have seen the show Suits. Uh, I'm a big fan of it. or oh, I was when it first started. We're in like what season seven, eight, nine now. So really, Suits for me now is. The optimal, interesting enough so I can put it on in the background and I won't fall asleep, but not so interesting that I can't also do something else in multitask, right? So that's what it is for me today. But when Suits first came out, it was kind of all the rage, right? And why? Because it's courtroom drama, right? And it's courtroom drama with all of the posturing, all of the amazing one-line zingers, and all of the outside of courtroom, like uh, backstabbing and uh, illegal uh, undermining of each other, right? A ton of drama going on there. And the passage we're looking at today is actually the original courtroom drama, right? So in Acts 24 through 26, what we're going to get today is kind of a series of um, three kind of courtroom scenes where Paul, who's been in prison, is going to present his case in front of uh, Felix in front of Festus and in front of uh, Marcus Agrippa. And, you know, as we kind of dive into Acts this morning, what I want us to talk about today um, is, you know, we've been going through this kind of bigger picture towards the end of Acts about what it means to testify to the good news of God's grace, right? And the past couple of weeks, Pastor Antonio talked to us about, about disruption, and he talked to us about transition, right? And today I wanted to talk to us about adversity. Why adversity? Right? Well, in the story we're going to see that Paul's going through a ton of adversity, but I also think that there's something really core about adversity to the message of the cross and to the message of the resurrection. right That it is in adversity, I think sometimes that what we say and what we do to proclaim the good news of Jesus' resurrection actually speaks loudest and speaks most clearly. So kind of with that, let's go ahead and dive in. And for those of you guys that have, you know, been around church for a while, you're probably familiar with the story. And so so often we come to this, you know, last section Acts 24 through 26 and we're tempted to, you know, see it through like rose-colored lenses, right? We look at it and we go, "Oh man, check it out. Like Paul gets to, you know, share his testimony in front of kings and in front of governors or check it out. Like Paul gets escorted by a Roman, you know, uh, legion to to, to Rome, right? To, to, the, to the capital of the world. Like, how cool is that? But what I wanted to see today is the drama of what's going on, right? Pretend for a moment that you don't know how the story ends. Pretend for a moment that you're in Paul's shoes, right? That you know you want to go to Rome, which is the capital of the world at the time, but you don't know how you're going to get there. And you're stuck in prison because you've been falsely accused and outside the prison walls are people who are scheming and finding ways to try and murder you, right? And that's kind of Paul's situation throughout these three chapters, right? Let's put ourselves in his shoes for a minute, in all the adversity, in all the unknown, in um, all the doubt that he might be thinking, and let's consider kind of his story. So with that, um, I'm gonna just kind of summarize Acts 24 through 26 for us. I highly encourage you later to just give it a read or listen to it. Um, Goes pretty quick, but I'll I'll go ahead and summarize it, right? So Acts 24 starts off with Paul's accusers showing up. They bring along a hired lawyer called uh, Tertullian who opens up with like this grand statement, uh, completely just like flattering Felix here. Um, And and who is Felix, right? Felix, her story tells us, is a pretty cruel ruler. Right? And so you have Tertullius kind of opening up with this flattering statement. He finishes his opening statement about why you know, Paul is causing riots and things like that. And then all, all the kind of um, the Jewish leaders who came along with Tertullius are um, you know, basically going to that, seconding that, crying out, hey, yeah, this is what Paul did. And this is kind of your, hey, we need order in the court type moment. right? And then Paul gets to make a defense for himself. Right? Paul goes and makes a defense for himself. And he, and he speaks kind of very clearly to what he's been up to, what he was doing in Jerusalem, when he was arrested. Um, the actual people who kind of accused him aren't even the ones there in the courtroom right now. And he also speaks to the way, right? The way that he follows, um, Sicily meaning Jesus, right? And he speaks to his hope in the resurrection, right? Um, what happens at the end of Acts chapter 24 is Felix looks at the situation, goes, huh, Interesting. Uh, I'm gonna keep Paul in prison for two years because I would like a bribe from him to see if I'll let him out. And Felix ends up, um, and it's transitioning off his position and then he's replaced by Festus, right? Now Festus steps in, um, and kind of picks up where Felix left off and is like, huh, okay, this is guy Paul. I'm not quite sure what to do with him. And the Jewish leaders are asking Festus to send Paul back to, to Jerusalem, right, for trial. And they're saying that because they know that while he's in transit from Caesarea to Jerusalem, they're gonna have a mob ambush him and kill him, right? And so, again, there, there's your courtroom drama happening, right, or outside of the courtroom drama going on. And so what happens is, you know, Festus essentially questions Paul. Paul makes his defense. Festus asks Paul, hey, do you wanna just go, you know, do your trial in Jerusalem? And Paul knows that he's not gonna get a fair trial in Jerusalem. He knows that he's gonna get ambushed and murdered. And so he says, no, like this is the Roman court. I wanna be tried here and I appeal to Caesar, right? So Festus says, okay, right? He's appealed to Caesar. He's within the Roman judicial system. And then what happens is, you know, King Agrippa happens to be staying with Festus for a few days. And Festus tells him about this. And they're like, oh, this sounds like a really interesting case. There's all this history politically going on between Festus and Agrippa. Um, And so they say, hey, let's go ahead and listen to Paul's story together. So they have this huge kind of pompous court scene. And again, Paul presents his case and again talks about the hope of the resurrection. Right? And, at the, and he tells the story of his conversion, the moment that he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And at the end of his story, again, you know, Agrippa and Festus gather, they talk about it, and they basically say, you know what? We don't really see anything that this guy did wrong. Like It's kind of weird, but it's not wrong. And if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, we probably would have let him go. right? And so that's where we end, at the end of Acts chapter 26. right? Cliffhanger for, for next time, and you can see where the story takes off. But as we kind of look at this, this story right in this section, there's really kind of three observations that, that jump out at me. So the first one is simply the fact that Paul or Luke, who's the author of acts spends a significant portion, right? Three chapters in many, many words and pages detailing what's going on in these courtroom scenes. Now, why did luke bother doing that right like why didn't he say and then paul was arrested and he had some back and forth with you know the roman governors um and they decided to keep him in jail for a bit right why document all of this that's going on i think the first thing is the fact that luke even talks about it says something to the i think type of disruption that the good news of jesus is supposed to bring right now if you remember When the book of Acts first opens in chapter one, right? Jesus first rises from the dead and he's meeting with his disciples and they ask him, Jesus, is it at this time that you are going to restore the kingdom of Israel, right? And Jesus says, no, right? It is not at this time. And then he kind of launches into the mission statement of, hey, you know, you're going to proclaim good news to Jerusalem, Judea, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth, right? AKA to Rome. And so I think... What Luke is doing us for us here is very much so kind of pushing against what was probably still, this is written, right? Very much an idea that, like, oh, is the good news of Jesus about overthrowing the Roman Empire, right? Like, you have to imagine that's in the back of everybody's minds in the first century, right? The oppressive Roman Empire is here. Jesus is the new king bringing in his new kingdom. Is the good news of Jesus about the overthrow of the Roman Empire, right? And I think Paul or Luke bothers telling us these three kind of courtroom scenes because what you get in each one of these scenes is that the religious leaders of the day are highly threatened, right, by what Paul is doing. But the military power of the day, right, the Roman governors and kings are looking at this and saying, you know what, this isn't a military threat to us, right? This isn't, he's not trying to overthrow the Roman Empire, at least not in a physical way. And I think that's the first thing to realize about um, the good news of Jesus and just what it means, right? That it doesn't look like a physical overthrow. And it's actually something way deeper, right? It's about changing people. And I think when you change people, it actually changes systems, right? We know that eventually the Roman Empire in the course of history was transformed um, by the good news of the gospel, right? That even the concept of grace itself wasn't a virtue that was held back then, right? And today we look at it and we go, yeah, like unmerited favor and kindness is something that is of value and cherished, right? And so there's definitely an overthrow and a disruption happening here, but what type of disruption, right? Is it what type of disruption we're looking for? We're really talking about the transformation of people and of hearts that then expands into the transformation of societies and cultures that yes, eventually does transform the world, but in a much deeper and longer lasting way than simply overthrowing or, um, a military regime, right? So that's the first thing I think we see here. The second thing that I want to see here is resurrection, right? Every time that Paul is put on the stand to talk about why he is on trial, he speaks to the resurrection. And I think that's really interesting, right? Because for so many of us, like when we talk about the good news of Jesus, the first thing and the, the primary thing we talk about is the forgiveness of sins right, at the cross. Now, hear me on this, forgiveness of sins at the cross, super, super important, right? But I also wanna elevate the resurrection, right? Because at the end of the day, this is the good news of Jesus is about resurrection. This is about Jesus breaking in, um, into the scene. Right? And in each one of the passages when he talks about um, Jesus' resurrection, what Paul is talking about here is that Jesus is the first of fruits of resurrection, right? So in kind of the Jewish scriptures, it was always this concept of a resurrection, right? A resurrection that would happen at the end of time for all peoples. But Jesus resurrecting in the middle of time, in the middle of history, was basically a signal that new creation has begun. Jesus is the first fruits of that, and Jesus is the king of that new creation right and it was a statement that like new life is breaking in to the middle of brokenness right new life is breaking in to this moment right here and every time paul's put on the stand that's what he talks about resurrection new life in jesus the last thing here right that i want us to see is the adversity piece of this and again i just want to summarize real quick like As we go through chapters 24 through 26, what are some of the moments, right, that that really sticks out about Paul's journey through these trials, right? So the first one I think we see is, okay, he's falsely accused, right, and they think he's um, a rebel, and they realize, oh, he's not, but then he's already in custody, which is what lands him in prison in the first place. Um, He's... Makes his case to Felix, and then he gets left in jail. And like Luke, kind of puts his little note at the end. Oh yeah, Felix just left him there for two years, right? Can you imagine being left in prison for two years because the governor overseeing your case wants a bribe, right? That's the situation that Paul is in. On top of that, then right, he he then gets a, a new governor, right? Uh, Festus coming in, and then he has to deal with people wanting to murder him outside the gates in a plot to murder him right? And so he appeals to Caesar to get out of that situation. And then at the end of kind of this whole ordeal before King Agrippa making his case on the stand, their conclusion is, hey, he's innocent, but since he already appealed to Caesar, we're going to send him along to Caesar, right? And so Paul still ends up in jail, right? And so if you put yourself in Paul's shoes, he's in a situation where He's in jail, people are trying to murder him, he's basically declared innocent by everyone, and yet he's left in jail anyways, whether it's because they want a bribe or because of the judicial system, and he's appealed to Caesar, right? And how frustrating that must have been for Paul, right? That he's a man on a mission, trying to share the good news of Jesus to everyone around him, and it feels like just roadblock after roadblock, right? It feels like dead end after dead end. It feels like everywhere he turns, he's just stuck right? And he can't get out of prison. And what I want us to see in this moment, though, is what Paul is doing this whole time, despite the adversity that he's in, right? He's continuing to proclaim and testify to the good news of God's grace to testify to the resurrection. Now, I want to be real careful here, right? Because I don't want to make light of adversity i don't want to make light of the situations that we find ourselves in right so on the one hand yeah we're talking about how do we be faithful in the little things in the midst of adversity on the other hand i do want to point out that like paul does everything he can right to try to get out of the prison that he's in right he does everything he can to try to not get murdered and he does everything he can to try to get a fair trial and then to get out of um imprisonment, right? And so I'm not saying, hey, don't worry about adversity. I'm not saying hey, don't worry about the situations you find yourselves in, right? Like I think there is merit definitely to you know working through those situations. But what I really want us to see here though is that even while Paul is working through those situations, his eyes are open to where God is leading, right? He's looking for those opportunities to continue to be faithful in the little things and the little ways that he can proclaim the good news of Jesus. And I don't think that's a coincidence, right? I think what we see here speaks volumes to really kind of the core of how the gospel progresses, right? Um, Because I believe that what we do in times of adversity speaks far more loudly than what we do in times of victory, right? Think about it. What would the story of Acts be like? What would the story of the gospel be like if Paul had said hey you know what I'm in a season where I'm stuck in prison and this really sucks so I'm just gonna wait until everything's better and then I will continue proclaiming the good news of Jesus right or what would have happened if you know there was never any adversity and Paul just went about his way as a missionary and it was all open doors and he got to Rome right like yeah maybe he would have got to the same places but I don't think the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus' death and resurrection comes across nearly as clearly um, when everything's peachy and fine, right? I think there is something specific about times of, of adversity that God uses and God uses powerfully to, to change nations, right? To change people and to change nations. Um, I think that there, in some ways, is when Paul talks about knowing Christ in his suffering and in his resurrection. That's what he's getting to, right? That there's something about the good news of the gospel that invites us to experience resurrection and new life, right? This new life type of disruption that breaks into the midst of brokenness and adversity, right? And so if we want that message to ring true and to be proclaimed clearly in some ways it is therefore in the midst of adversity that that message is most powerfully heard right most clearly heard and so i think with that we definitely see paul doing that in you know our our three chapters today but as we kind of come in for a landing here like what does that mean for us right what does that mean for you and i i think there's two things here so the first one is on the communal level, like we know that as a church at Discovery, we are pressing into kind of new wine, right? We're pressing into what it means to share the good news of Jesus in fresh, new ways that reach kind of different people, right? And so often, I mean, not just in the world, but even in the in church circles, there's this idea that like, oh, like if you're doing what God wants you to do, like you're going to get open doors and things are going to just flow well, right? But that is not at all the case with what Paul is doing. And and God ends up using Paul tremendously, right? And so I think what we should expect as a community is that as we continue to press into these new wine ways, continue to follow Jesus in that, we should expect adversity to happen, right? We should expect that there will be bumps, there will be growing pains, there will be moments where things feel like we are stuck and hitting dead ends, right? And I think the ask there is for us to continue to discern and to seek God and to say, okay, God, what does it look like for us to continue to proclaim uh, the good news of your grace in the midst of adversity, right? And how, God, do you want to use specifically these moments to to proclaim your good news even more clearly and even more loudly? The second piece of this is getting into kind of on a personal level, right? I think for all of us, we go through different seasons in life, um, and, you know, that's, there's going to be ups, there's going to be downs, there's going to be different seasons. But I believe that in every single season, right, whether it's a season of working really hard or a season of rest, right, a season of um, things are going great or a season of adversity, right, I believe that in every season there are opportunities, right, maybe tiny little small opportunities for us to continue to be faithful in how we follow Jesus and proclaim his good news, right, proclaim those resurrection stories and look for those resurrection moments. And so if you're in a season right now of adversity, or maybe there's a part of your life um, that's in a season of adversity right now and you've been saying, hey, I'm gonna just wait until that's all figured out and then I'll jump in and then I'll engage. I wanna encourage you to, to ask God, like God, what are you doing in the midst of this moment? right? What are the little opportunities that you're asking me to be faithful in? Because who knows? right? Maybe it's in those little moments, in the midst of adversity, that God actually wants to use you to completely transform the course of human history, to completely transform someone else's life, right? And to really see uh, resurrection uh, begin to take place, uh, breaking in right here, right now. So every week, you know, we get to celebrate communion together. And this is the time when we, you know, come and we eat the bread and we drink um, the wine or the grape juice, <laughs> which represents Jesus' body and his blood, right? And it's at the communion table that we get to remember and we get to celebrate not just Jesus' death, but also his resurrection, right? That we proclaim his death until he comes. It's a forward-looking component to it. And you know, it says in the scriptures that it is the same power that would brought Jesus back from the dead that is now at work in you and I. Um, and so as we think about adversity, uh, as we think about what God might be calling us to, to kind of continue to follow him in the faithful little ways, um, in the midst of adversity, I think I'm excited to see kind of what God is going, wants to do um, through those moments, just as he did with Jesus, right? And so as we come to the table, um, you know, whenever you're ready, kind of take and eat the elements and let's celebrate um, the resurrection of Jesus together.